Hello and welcome to Learning to Live the Life, the podcast from Christchurch Downend, which is a Church of England church in Bristol Diocese. I'm the Reverend Aidan Watson and in each of our episodes I'm joined by guests from our church or perhaps beyond our church uh, to talk about something to do with Christian discipleship. Today's episode is what I believe is possibly our best episode so far. I think it is phenomenal and that is all because of our amazing guest, the Reverend Emma Swarbrick, who shares her story and journey into adoption. Now she's going to talk about some honest uh, realities of her journey and some of these things are quite tough, so do listen with some discretion. But I really, really encourage you to listen to this episode. Whether or not you're interested in adoption, have an experience of adoption or fostering, uh, I really believe, uh, as, as Emma talks about, that this is at the heart of the gospel, caring for children, caring for the most vulnerable. And it's something that we as a church uh, should definitely be listening to stories like this. So I really hope this story blesses you. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to Learning to Live the Life, the podcast from Christchurch Downend. Uh, today we have a really, really special guest uh, joining us all the way from Blackburn Diocese, I believe. Uh, right. We have the wonderful Reverend Emma Swarbrick. Um, I'm going to put in some massive applause here because you deserve it. Um, <laughs> Emma is someone that I trained with when I was at Trinity College in Bristol and we got to know each other through that. And we're going to hear a bit about your story, but just... Just get us off. Um, where are you? Uh, where are you based at the moment? Where exactly in Blackburn Diocese are you? What are you doing? So I am curate, and I'm at, um, I'm in Blackpool on the um, the Lancashire Riviera <laughs> on the coast. Um, and I'm at St Thomas's Church in Blackpool. Um, yeah, and I've only been at this church since September, so those things are a bit new. So a bit of a sec- second curacy going on. Yeah, cool. And like me, you are a curate, aren't you? So you're. Yes, uh, I am. What does what does that? Because in our church, we had this thing where we didn't really know what a curate was, uh, and the reality yes. is, it kind of looks a bit different in every church. What does that look like for you? What what are you doing? I mean, mostly? I, I guess I guess I like to think of a curate as an apprentice, really. So I'm I'm attempting to learn from the vicar. Um, in practice, that means I'm you know take part in services and lead things and um, get to know people and do a little bit of visioning with the vicar and just kind of yeah Brilliant. I'm learning and helping out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. Now I've invited you obviously to speak as much as I, I really want to. Uh, I would invite you to speak on any topic, but we particularly um, I'm invited you after listening to you on a different podcast, uh, a podcast that's come out of St David's Cathedral in Wales, um, and you were there and you shared a bit of your story. And I thought it would be great to hear some of your story again uh, in a kind of bite-sized form potentially, but also um, we'll get to it later. But your, your kind of journey into adoption. Uh, which we'll talk about in a bit, but I, I wonder if we could just, you know, pick a moment when to start, but like, yeah, tell, tell us how you get to where you're the curate at uh, a church in Blackpool. I guess, um, I guess I've grown up in the church um, and, and, and faith has always been quite important to me. Um, and so when I was, when I was younger, I would go to church with my, with my mum and my, my brother who's older than me and then my sister who's a bit younger when she came along. And kind of grew in my faith through that experience and through going to a youth club at the at the local Baptist church. And I I really, I suppose, started to own my own faith when I went to university. 
And that was where I first felt the call to ordination. Because I was training to be a primary school teacher at the time, and that's something that I had wanted to do for a while. And then I had been in this chapel service, and uh, the speaker was the Bishop of, of Oxford, uh, the Bishop of Jarrow at the time, and uh, John Pritchard, who's written a number of books, and so people might uh, know who he is. And he um, said, some of you in this room today will be called to ordination. And that, for me, was like this massive bolt out in the blue, and I knew, gosh, that it, um, that, that was for me. And so began a journey, really, um, which now I am 37 years old and I'm a, I'm a curate. So it's obviously it's taken some time to go from <laughs> first sense of call when I was at university aged um, 19 or 20 to um, finally starting training in my mid-30s. Um, in the meantime, I, I spent 11 years um, being a teacher. I trained as a lay reader, um, so I had some training in preaching um and then and then finally really felt like actually the time was right to explore ordination again i started that obviously in those early days um and ended up being sent to uh, a bat and went off to trinity to train yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and then came back to blackbird diocese which is where i grew up so. brilliant and a bat is a bishop's advisory panel um, the Church of England, does anyone who's spent five seconds looking at it will know, is full of acronyms that make no sense. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so bishops. Not as many as teaching. <laughs> Not as many as teaching. Well, fair enough. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, it's quite an interesting process. You know, you, you when you kind of explore ordination, you meet with someone uh, probably from your local church, and then you go and meet with someone else, and you meet with someone else, and eventually you get to someone from the diocese potentially, who then maybe sends you off. To one of these BAPs. It's a long, quite laborious process. When, I know I'm asking this because I kind of know some of the answer, but when when did this kind of journey into adoption start with this for you? And how did this kind of lengthy process with the Church of England match up? Yeah, I mean, when I was around about the age of 30 I guess and I'm, I was still teaching I was going through quite a tricky time at school and um, we're teaching year six and we'd had some really rubbish results uh, which when you're in a one form entry school it kind of rests on you so I was dealing with the fact that I'd got this um these terrible results and I was still thinking about going forward for ordination and I was at that kind of age at age 30 where you um you start to kind of rethink I suppose about your life and where your life's going and I um I was single still am single um and had to really kind of ask myself what my priorities in life were whether I was um I knew that I really wanted children but did I want to put my kind of time and efforts into the dating scene which which in these days is mostly internet dating and I'd done a bit of that but it wasn't really for me um and was that really what was important to me finding someone um or actually was it more important to me that I had children and I and I realized actually that having children was more important to me um and you know you can spend a lot of you can kind of waste almost a lot of years uh, in internet dating <laughs> and then it goes nowhere you know when you're still childless so um so that's when I first started to kind of explore um the possibility of adoption and I ended up um going to speak to somebody at a local uh, an adoption agency 
um, and just start to kind of explore what that might look like and to work to begin to work out really what I was looking for you know what what was what I was hoping for I guess um, and so there's many kind of routes when you go through adoption um, and you you can choose to adopt an older child or uh, or a baby um, and they do say if you if you're wanting to adopt a baby they do this kind of concurrency route where um, you're approved as both a foster carer and an adopter mm-hmm. or you can um you know adopt an older child and I ended up talking to somebody a kind of a wise friend about about this and she was saying to me as a single person she wondered whether it would be wise to actually adopt more than one child um that kind of breaks up that it can be quite an intense dynamic and I guess as a teacher I had seen that you know that single parent (laughs) single child dynamic can sometimes be really super intense and I thought oh yeah there's wisdom in that so started to kind of think about that and I guess um I was just really putting my feelers out a lot and getting in touch with agencies such as um, Home for Good that are a Christian charity um, and they advocate for fostering and adoption and they're not actually an adoption agency themselves but they do the advocating and something that they're very keen on is the fact that some children are kind of labelled as you know hard to hard to place because maybe they're in a sibling group or they're a bit older and that it can be easier to place a baby because lots of couples who maybe um, haven't been able to conceive themselves might actually, this is what they really want is to have a baby. Um, and so they, they might choose that as their mm-hmm. first option. And I realised at that point that that really wasn't what I was all that bothered about. But I, So I was still kind of exploring this. And when I met with this uh, adoption agency to talk about it, they said, absolutely, it, you know, I was quite eligible and they would kind of recommend that I I kind of start that adoption process whilst I was still teaching because at that stage I knew the plan was to go off to train and and whether I would be able to do my training maybe at a route like St Melitus where you get to stay in your own home and you do some stuff in church and you do one day a week in college um and would I be able to do that whilst adopting a friend of mine with children had done that route you see and I kind of thought that might be an option and what she recommended was that I carry on teaching and um get decent a leave basically uh, and then go and do that you know go and do the church thing later and really in my heart of hearts I knew that that wasn't the answer because I had already I guess in many ways been putting God off for 13 years and it was time that I um I went to the church and went for this bishop's advisory panel and then and then took it from there so I um I, I put the adoption on the back burner but with this plan in my mind that this is still the way that I wanted to grow a family um and I still intended that when the time was right which was you know basically once I've done my training and I I did that residentially obviously as Aidan said at Trinity College and I wouldn't be able to have a child placed with me at that point but once I was settled in a home and settle in a place that that would be the right time then to go back to the adoption agencies so that's what I did you know I did my training at Trinity and then kind of told the diocese this was my plan before they even placed me for a curacy so that they knew that that was you know this was something that was in the offing and that I would get a place that was going to support me in there. Fantastic fantastic and we'll kind of get on to the um actually you know where where you're at now with adoption and yeah. um but like just digging in a bit more how did faith 
play an element in this. You know, you talked about Home for Good being a Christian charity uh, that advocates mm-hmm. for adoption and fostering and everything around that and the church being it. How did faith play an element in it for you? I think initially I kind of separated it a little bit from my faith because um, I really felt at that in those kind of early stages that this was a, kind of almost a selfish desire, you know, that I want to have a family and that's my that's my thing, you know, that's just that's just about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it didn't really feel like something that was not that it was completely separated from my faith because that's you know it's just who I am you know I am a Christian and I live out a life that you know as much as possible is serving Jesus um but I didn't really think of it too much in those terms um when I was at college and I was really exploring my curacy and um and how this desire was seen kind of perceived in the diocese or by other people and my 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 tutor and Helen Collins at at Trinity she kind of put the word calling into my mouth and I and I realized that was totally what this was you know that all this time I'd been exploring adoption thinking that it was this selfish desire but really that God had given me this heart this he'd given me this heart for children and especially heart for children who who were hard to place and you know um for those sibling groups and for those older children um not to be end up just kind of languishing almost in the mm. care system but to be able to offer a permanency um and offer a loving home and and so that really was I realized was a part of my calling that I was called to be a priest um but I was also called to adopt um, and actually once I was able to almost vocalize that once I was able to take that on and realize this is a call it gave me an, a whole new kind of strength in that com- the strength of conviction I suppose that this this isn't just about me this isn't about me being awkward you know but actually this is me trying to faithfully follow God's leading in my life perfect and I think this applies to so many different scenarios i think the church of england especially as it's you know aware it needs to up its numbers of priests it can kind of Mm. sometimes shrink the language of calling to just to ministry or different types of ministry uh in in the church ministry in the church but actually we all have a calling you know we talk a lot at christ church about calling to whatever your front line is whatever wherever you're spending your nine to five uh your or your your seven days a week where that's where you're called to and yes the language of calling into adoption i think is really cool so you've had this quite lengthy journey and 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 you know of exploring how do you i mean just for the person who's not really thought about it or hasn't really explored the process before how do you come to the the kind of decision that that which children to adopt and are you placed with children you know how does that relationship form initially and how was that when you first you know when it, yeah speak a bit to the beginning of the journey absolutely that uh, the the kind of choosing of children almost it was the hardest bit of the process so you've you've gone through so much kind of cerebral um activity you've thought about 
in you know a hypothetical scenario what sort of children you're looking for so i'd i'd gone from the actually wanting a baby to um actually maybe an older child to maybe two or three children um and you know boys or girls and you know what sorts of disabilities and uh, would you would i be able to be able to feel like i was able to take on or support um so you've done all that kind of cerebral stuff they've gone to a gone to an adoption panel where there was uh, it was this enormous room uh this massive table where there was, i don't know there must have been about 12 to 15 people sitting around this table all wanting to ask me about why you know why i wanted to adopt uh, which was more daunting than any teaching interview i'd ever been to um but shorter <laughs> and um they've approved you um and then immediately once you're approved then you've this kind of this world almost opens up to you um of profiles of children now when i was um when i was teaching i used to teach victorian age um and history was my specialism so i, I taught about the victorians and we learned about bernardos and um and in the victorian age they would put together bernardos would put together these little leaflets with um you know children from the east end on looking a bit disheveled um and basically ask people to support their charity which i suppose kind of goes on now um, and in many ways, it sort of felt a bit like that, like um, my social worker would come and present me with, well, initially, she just kind of presented me with like 20 profiles all at once that were all different kinds of, you know, different ages and stages of children and groups and singles and stuff. And um, so I could pick out those that I was most drawn to so she could see, you know, you said you want to adopt two children that are a bit older, but is that really what you're drawn to? Yeah, yeah. So it was that part of the process and which I was like, no, look, I am. <laughs> I do want to adopt two children that are slightly older, but, you know, kind of lower school age. Yeah, and then she would present me with a profile and say, you know, what about these children? And I'd have to say yes or no, and then, well, why, you know, why are you drawn to these children or why are you not drawn to these children? And I think that's really the, it's just so hard to know. And, it, and at, that, at that point in the process, I was asking other people who had adopted, how did you know which children were your children? And they yeah. would say really helpful things like... Um, when I saw them, I just knew. <laughs> and I absolutely just, I really, at the time, just really annoyed me because I thought, but I don't know. Like, am I just going to carry on looking at profiles until, until uh, uh, you know, one profile jumps at me and I just know that these are the right children? At some point, I have to make a decision. At some point, I have to say, these are the children for me. So, um some of the, the the first the first profile that my social worker showed to me, I thought, well, yeah, that's let's go down this road. Let's let's explore. Let's keep pushing the door and see what happens. And I still wasn't just didn't know if it was right or not right. And um, I can't say I felt this kind of easy. It wasn't easy. I didn't feel settled about it, but I didn't feel unsettled enough to say that it wasn't right. Um, so I just kind of kept pressing doors. Ended up meeting with this of the um, social workers of these children um, and were, were kind of continuing to press on see if this was right at which point I discovered that the social workers were also considering another couple for this these two children and I felt relieved and I and I knew from that sense of relief that um, that these children weren't mine and I and I and that that was super hard. It was hard to feel relief <laughs> when you realise that somebody else is exploring the children you're exploring, um, because you would expect to kind of feel, like, oh, that's 
hmm, I don't feel I don't feel very happy about that. Mm. Um, but I thought this. I didn't initially feel like oh, this sense of relief is because I don't these children aren't right. I just kind of felt like oh, this sense of relief means that they are exploring other options, so it's going to help me with the discernment process. But talking to someone else, um, a good friend um, who had adopted a couple of years earlier, she said to me, um, and she'd adopted two two children, she'd said to me, when, you know, if you, you know the children that are, that are right for you when you are prepared to fight for them. And if mm-hmm. these children were your children, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be going, oh, thank goodness for that, I feel relief. You'd be mm-hmm. saying, no, like, they're right for me, and I'm going to make sure that I'm the, you realise that I'm the right parent, not this other couple. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, gosh, she's right. You know, she's <laughs> right. And so I, I, I then got, got back in touch with my social worker and said, no, that I realised this wasn't right, and, and went back. Um, to kind of square one almost um, yeah they gave, gave myself a little bit of time to lick my wings a bit <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and and just and just process that and then in the end my social worker came and brought me some more profiles and out of those profiles um, I saw the the profile of the children that are now mine um, and a couple of others actually so shall we started to kind of explore with two different profiles at the same time but these two boys have been the ones that have stood out for me i don't think my social worker really believes that they were <laughs> they were the ones i was really interested in so she's like what about these as well should we yeah, yeah. um and yeah ended up meeting with their social worker and then met with their foster care and just kept pressing basically see if as you press the door are the people that you meet are they happy with you are you still happy to continue mm-hmm. explore this so we continued with that until finally everyone was happy that I you know was the right I was the right mum for these two children yeah. um and then you go to a matching panel <laughs> so that's yeah. another panel where you have to kind of prove yourself yeah, yeah. um and so at that matching panel then they approved um the match and then you kind of get started in getting to know your children and and that um, it's called introductions and during that introduction process I um, gradually over the course of three weeks spent a little bit more time each day with the children at their foster home and then um, they came to visit me at my house for a few days um, and then they finally moved in to um, live at my house after wow. about three weeks so yeah that was quite big. So long but probably whirlwind type process I imagine yeah, and that whole thing really from a, from approved to adopt through to introductions was six months. So it was not really very long. Um, I suppose there's just a lot happening in that time. And, mm. and it was quite emotionally demanding. Mm, of course, of course. And, and I suppose at the end of this process, obviously, you know, move-in day happens and, and, and yeah. it kind of all gets signed off. And I've spoken at Christchurch. Um, particularly when I first came to the church actually about how you know we, we arrived with a very newborn and I've spoken in times where where um, I think I was guilty of a kind of film movie versions of, of parenthood where the, where a mm-hmm. child is born and you immediately boom you love them and you know this incredible love and it's mushy and, and you, you know the phrase I never knew what love was until you know, I had yeah. a child, and 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 I'll be honest, that wasn't my experience. And I and subsequently, I found out that that's quite a lot of people was not, you know, not their normal experience. You've gone through this like emotionally draining process, as you say, and then you you've got your your children there, um, and you you they're presented. How was that bonding 
process um, and how has that been? Initially they say once children come to live with you that you've got to kind of narrow your life down so that it's just you and the children so they've got time to you know to develop that bond with you so they're not looking to any other adults because at that time they're kind of they're kind of cut adrift in in many ways they've they've built a bond with the foster carer you know before that they were with birth family and then they've they've had that that kind of bond cut now they're with foster family they've built a bond with foster family that that's been cut now they're living in your house and they're kind of adrift you know in that bonding way and so if there are too many people involved at that stage or you're kind of taking them out and showing them off and um, they don't know where you know which adult is safe and where they're supposed to be putting their their efforts their bonding efforts almost um which can be quite confusing so you're supposed to narrow your life down um as a single parent um, and adopting two boys, that was going to be quite intense. So they did say in the adoption agency that because my mum and dad live quite close and we're going to be quite heavily involved, that they would also be part of that process. So so they were around a fair bit, um, you know, not too much. Um, and over the first few weeks, we just kind of played. We played a lot. Um, and that was really tiring. Um <laughs> I don't know whether as an adult you've tried just sitting down and playing make-believe games. It's really hard. (laughs) Until recently, I would have said no. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm very aware of that pain. (laughs) And that's how I And, uh, you know, I I would be like, oh, can't we play like a a game with rules? Or I'd rather build something, you know. (laughs) But no, they want me to pretend to be Paw Patrol um, or PJ Masks. I've never really watched it because why would you watch PJ Masks or Paw Patrol unless you had to? (laughs) Um, So so I was kind of trying really hard to play and that was, it was quite exhausting. And then Christmas came quite quickly after that, really. Um, they came October time, and then before you know it, it's Christmas. Well, they've been poorly as well for a week, and that really can be a good time of bonding. But actually, for me, I just found that was knackering. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was slept in a different room that was closer to their bedroom, so I would hear them in the night, and the temperatures were rocketing through the roof. And, um, you know the first couple of days were dreadful and then once I'd worked out how to administer calpol and, uh, and ibuprofen in, <laughs> in even gaps it's kind of settled down a bit um so that was really hard um and then we're knackered <laughs> you know after that after they've been poorly we're all tired they're recovering from being ill and then we're hit with Christmas and Christmas can be a really triggering child for children who have experienced early life trauma for many reasons, you know, maybe there weren't any presents at home or, you know, perhaps the they'd had an abusive dad or whatever. He, you know, it wasn't settled. It wasn't a settled time for them and they couldn't just trust that they're going to get presents or they couldn't just trust that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so it comes to Christmas time and they're in a new home and, you know, a, a Christmas again in a different home and they're trying to work out w- what that means for you and what that means to this new family they're in. And there was an awful lot of kind of, push pull um which for mine just meant like they needed me and they would be like I need you I need you I want you I want you and at the same time they'd be like stomping off and pushing away going I don't want you I don't want you you know so there was this constant tussle of emotions of I knew that they actually they would say to me and particularly the youngest he would say a lot I love you mummy I love you mummy and I think 
and I'd say, oh, I love you too. We we knew it was a, this was just a, you know, it was a facade, basically, a, a charade almost, mm. because we didn't know each other, you know, and so there was no way that we could possibly have really loved each other. But I just knew that what was saying, what he was saying to me was, I need you to look after me. You are the one single most person who's going to keep me safe. And so I need to keep you on side. So mm. you, I need you to know that I love you, even if I know, you know, you know, I don't really love you and you probably don't actually really love me, but I really need you on side. And, mm. and there's that kind of real difficult tussle between being needed and not wanted. That was really hard. And especially in that Christmas period. And then, they didn't sleep well and then Christmas Day was actually loads better than I thought it was going to be I think it was just kind of oh we can actually enjoy this they have had presents and they kind of feel like present presents it's okay presents came and we had a nice time and there was a bit of kind of like um wanting more 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 because that's you know they want more stuff and they want to make sure that they're going to get all the stuff they're going to get mm-hmm. um which which is true of all children but I think more so of children who have, have experienced traumas they have and then after Christmas, actually, the week after Christmas, doing Christmas and New Year was just, I mean, just hard work. Um, and I really struggled in that time. I was, I was dreading um, February half term, thinking, you know, the Christmas holidays were really hard. I just don't know how I'm going to manage it February half term. Um, and then February half term came and went without too much trouble, really. Um, and then we were hit with lockdown, <laughs> and I had no choice. We had no choice. We just had to, we just had to, um, you know, spend every day together. And actually, what they say, as I said earlier, that you should really narrow your life down in those early days. We did a bit of, but actually, because the eldest was at school, um, and and so virtual schools want them in. You know, they want to make sure that they're continuing, they're getting that continuity of education. So they don't want him off school for too long. So he was doing he was doing half days, which is better than mm-hmm. full days. But he was still in school. Um, we weren't able to do that like really intense bonding. Um, and then, and then in lockdown, we lockdown. had no we had no choice. We had no we had to like intensely bond and see nobody. Um, and and I. I cried I, 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 when I heard that announcement by Boris Johnson on that fateful Monday evening. <laughs> I remember it well. I kind of sat on my sofa and I just cried. I thought, I don't know how I'm going to cope. You know, mm. how are we going to manage? And I actually think it was a real gift to us as a family in the end. We were able to play out and really play together and get to know each other much better and really cement those bonds um, in a way that I think would have taken us such a long time if we hadn't. So in some ways, it's a blessing of lockdown. Yeah, and in those early days, as I know you'd picked up on, Aidan, from my previous um, podcast, that I really was trying to wonder, you know, people would say, you know, oh, you must love these, you know, so how wonderful are you, you know, you've got these mm. wonderful children, and you're just madly in love with them, and I'll be like, is it like that for, like, is it like that for birth parents? Because it's not really like that <laughs> when you're adults. So I was really, I feel really heartened to hear that, Aiden, because I just didn't know. You know, I only know my own experience from adopting. And not, well, not I, I think, like I think there's a lot of myths out there. And I'm sure, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are people for whom, boom, immediate love and thing. But I know mm. that not for everyone. Mm. Um, that isn't the story for everyone. And, um, you know, I, I was, I the way I got kind of... Re- that kind of oh, relief was when my GP, our GP just said, oh, I found the first year of parenting really hard. I didn't really like them to start with, mm, <laughs> which is just, really he was, yeah. it was just, it was just like a, yeah, do you know what? Parenting in all its forms is hard, but thank you so much for your honesty and sharing with that. 
Um, I know people will be blessed with that from the church. But just to finish, really, I suppose, what would your kind of message be um, to to people listening to this? You know, if they're, if they're either considering adoption or if maybe they've got friends or family members or they've got people at church uh, who've adopted, um, what would be your kind of message there? Especially, you know, as a Christian, um, speaking into that again, what would you kind of say to people? Um, I would say, um, you know, God's heart is for, he really has a heart for children. He has a heart for um, uh, the widows and the orphans. You know, you come across that so often in the Bible. Um, and these children who um, have have got so little and deserve so much, you know, they do, deserve so much more. I really encourage anyone who is considering adoption just to press in and read about it, talk to people, you know, find, make those links with people who have already adopted. As soon as you start these conversations, you you discover there's loads of people out there. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as you say, I'm starting to think about it, like, oh, you know, I know so-and-so. Well, actually, actually, my children are adopted and you probably would never have known that. And mm-hmm. um, so to start those conversations and just start doing that exploring is really important. Um Check out the Home for Good website, as I mentioned them already. It's homeforgood.org.uk. Um, I'll, make and sure they say, I'll, I'll make sure there's a link in the you. description to the yeah. podcast. <laughs> and they say, you know, that there are over 3,000, or I think around about 3,000 children waiting for adoption at this very moment in time. And that if every church family were able to support families who are one family who's adopting or consider that one family in your church were to adopt that there would be no more children in that in the system waiting for adoption we could kind of eradicate you know (laughs) we could eradicate the need for more families if we were able to do that ourselves um so i really you know i kind of heartily (laughs) encourage people to to look into that um and especially for those children who um you know, part of a sibling group such as my boys are and and could end up finding themselves in a foster care without that option for permanency um, and security and safety knowing that when they turn 18 they're still a member of a family you know they've got your name and they're going to be a member of your family for the rest of their lives um, and then they're not going to end up oh you've turned 18 and now you need to go and live in a flat by yourself which I think is just the saddest thing ever yeah. you know, for our care leavers yeah. Um, yeah so I encourage you to, to really consider those children as well especially the most brilliant speaking of which I've looked at what the time is and I imagine you've got some children to pick up from school so we're probably going to have to we're <laughs> probably going to have to call it call it a day there but I I you know I could speak and listen to you for days and days and hours and hours and <laughs> um, can I pray for you before we finish is that all right? Thank you. Father God, thank you so much for Emma. Thank you so much for her love for you. Thank you for her giftings. And thank you for her callings. Uh, her call to ministry and uh, being a curate and uh, a priest in, in Blackpool. But Lord, thank you also for her calling into uh parenthood a calling into adoption lord i do pray for them as a family thank you so much for the blessing that lockdown was to them as hard as that blessing and as painful as that blessing will have been uh, to receive lord i just pray that you would continue to develop uh, grow them as a family uh they grow more in love with each other and also in love with you um we pray for anyone listening to this podcast that they 
who might be exploring an adoption or thinking about it or uh, have friends or loved ones who are or fellow church members who are. Lord, help us as a church in this country to take seriously this challenge that comes from home for good. Help us, each of us, to think about what it would look like for us um, to potentially adopt, to foster or to support those who are. Uh, and that very real statistical challenge. Help us to be more like you, Lord Jesus, and love children just like you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there we go. I really hope that episode and discussion with Emma has inspired you as much as it has done me, uh, has challenged you as much as it has done me. Uh, and if you want to chat to someone at church about this, uh, maybe pray with someone about something you've heard, then do get in contact with me. Uh, my email, uh, you can email me podcast at christchurchdownend.com. Just to let you know about what's coming up, hopefully we should be back to having episodes once a month. I realise this is the first episode we've had in a while. Um, I've had a bit of time off unwell with a a slipped disc in my back and then got caught up in Easter services. But hopefully we should be back to having services once a month. Got some great ideas, great guests uh, and I really hope you can join us again next time. God bless.